Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Story There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hiking the Appalachian Trail one summer. In Vermont, I come up to an old white fire tower which is on the trail as a night camp. It's about 11.30, and my headlamp goes out almost when I get to the building. I step in and it looks like a museum. Wool blankets, food on an old tin plate, kerosene lantern and Osborne firefinder. Straight out of a 1920s photograph. Right down to the old forest service pack in the corner. Obviously someone was here because there was food on the plate, so I grab the bunk and go to sleep. Get up at 7am and everything is gone. I'm laying on the floor in a completely empty boarded up fire tower. No nothing inside but a note that said, thanks for spending the time, it's been a while. A story from a group I encountered while hiking. When I was in Boy Scouts, we went on a canoe trip into the deep woods and lakes on the Minnesota or Canada border. On our last day, we got stuck on a trail and couldn't go in the water due to lightning. We ran into a couple of groups and started talking about some stories. 
This is where we heard the following tale. The group we met had encountered a guy a couple of nights back. He walked out of the woods with no shoes on. This isn't the kind of place you can just stroll through. If you aren't prepared, you're dead. He asked if he could join them by the fire, claiming he had gotten lost the night before. He also inquired about any extra food. Since one of their group members had gotten hurt on the way up, they gave him some food, and after about an hour, he was on his way. They did offer to call on their satellite phone to the main base to help get this guy back, but he declined and seemed agitated by the offer. The next day, they saw a small plane overhead. The only planes in this area are for medical emergencies, so they thought someone nearby needed it. They found out as the plane landed nearby and came close to them that it was a police plane. They were asked if the group had met anyone recently and given a short description, which, as you guessed, matched the guy they had encountered the night before. He was apparently an escaped convict and had committed three murders. After that, they had someone keep watch each night in case the guy ever came back. Luckily, he didn't, but those guys didn't get much sleep. Just after sunrise, my wife and I were laying in our tent, talking. The tent was situated in a clearing next to the Wilson River, right along the edge of the tree line. We were the only people camping in this clearing, and it was very remote from other camping areas, which is why we chose it. Off in the distance at an angle behind the tent and deep in the forest, we heard what sounded like someone breaking large sticks or small logs against the trunk of a tree. We found this odd because there were no trails or roads where we heard this. Why would anyone be out there? Also, we were the only ones around to the best of our knowledge, as this was not close to any campgrounds. The early hour also added to the strangeness of the sounds we heard. After maybe a couple of minutes of hearing this, the sounds became more intense and changed to what sounded more like very large branches being snapped and small trees actually being uprooted and pushed over. The sound slowly moved towards us at this point. I thought there must be someone driving some kind of machinery through the forest and plowing over anything standing in the way, perhaps a cat being used to forge new access for a logging operation. As it got to within maybe 150 feet of our tent, I realized there was no engine sound. It kept coming closer. When it got to within what sounded like 50 feet or so, the sound of trees being uprooted and broken stopped and was replaced with the sound of very heavy and slow footsteps, still coming closer to the tent. The sound continued approaching until it was within maybe three or four feet behind the tent, then it stopped as if examining our tent or just waiting. Unfortunately, the tent had no windows to look out, so we just laid there, being as silent as possible while I clutched my hatchet and held my breath. I can't be positive because we were both very frightened by this point, but I thought I could hear what sounded like something huge breathing just a couple of feet off the back of our tent. This may have been my imagination, though. My wife said she didn't hear breathing. After a pause of 15 to 20 seconds, the footsteps began to angle off into the forest again. When the footsteps seemed to be 15 or 20 feet away, I quietly got up and crawled out of the tent to see what had made this racket. I walked around the back of the tent, still clutching my hatchet, and peered into the forest. It was too dense to see very far, so I started to venture into the woods towards the direction of the footsteps which I could still hear fading off in the distance. I followed for 20 or 30 feet and could see nothing. That's when the fear got the best of me, and I scrambled back to the tent. We remained in the tent for at least another hour before venturing out. I kept peering into the forest but didn't see or hear anything again. By now, friends who we were expecting began to show up, so we felt a bit safer. When my curiosity finally got the best of me, I ventured into the forest towards the direction of the crashing and snapping sounds we had heard coming towards us. No one would come with me. After going for 50 or more feet in that direction, I came upon a huge tangle of fallen old growth logs with a very dense stand of smaller trees and dense underbrush on the other side where the sound had originated. Several smaller trees had been snapped off or pushed over. 
No machine could ever have crossed over the fallen logs, as they were several feet in diameter. And I know of no machine that makes footsteps. Then fear took hold again, and I ran to the safety of the clearing without looking for footprints. I never went back into the forest the entire weekend after that. We could only explain what we heard as being a Sasquatch. The only problem I had with this theory was that I have always thought if these creatures existed, they would be very silent and reclusive, avoiding humans whenever possible. Certainly not crashing through the forest like a bulldozer. These sounds were intentional. I can't say for certain what we heard, but I do know without any doubt that it was not a human, machinery, a bear, an elk, or anything else that might be commonly found in these forests. I've spent much of the last 20 years trying to come up with an explanation for what we heard. I have none other than a Sasquatch. Why it made such a racket is beyond me. I live in South Africa which is a very dangerous country with lots of crime. Keep this in mind. I'm 18 now but when I was 14 and still at school, I was part of the land club at my school where once on a Friday night every couple of months we would all get together with our computers at school, set them up in a classroom, hook them up to a central modem and play video games together all night. The school I went to was massive and had wide open areas with grass and trees and stuff. Some parts were literally small forests. It's almost like a huge park with buildings scattered throughout it and lots of roads. So one night at land club, my friends and I decided to go out for a walk around the school at around 1am. There were about 6 of us and we were just walking around until we heard the sound of a car driving around. We found this extremely weird and walked up a little hill until we saw this car driving around in the distance. It was in the middle of the night but it had no lights on. I had one of those stargazing lasers on me and my dumbass decided to shine it at the windshield of the car. As soon as I did it, the car screeched to a stop. Then it started driving again, in our direction. That's when we decided to try hide where we were and we kinda thought of it as a game. We were on the edge of a tiny forest and a large open field. We split up into groups of two and had two in the forest, two on the edge, me and a mate, and two on the field. All of us were lying down flat on the ground. There was a road about 10 meters in front of us. The car drove right in front of my friend and I and suddenly turned its car so that it was facing us. Then the lights just turned on, blinding us. I couldn't see anything but out of nowhere from the light I see this dark figure of a man running towards us getting bigger. That's when we bolted. This man had the jump on us so he was super close behind us when we started running. My friend and I split up as we ran and he carried on chasing me. I was shitting myself. Keep in mind this man has not said a single word yet and almost all teachers would at least say something. Now that I think back on it, this part was quite funny. After a while of running I turned my head to look back to see how far he was behind me and I did so at the exact right moment because as I did that he literally face planted and I'll never forget seeing his face drag across the grass. Anyways we kept running, past the land classroom, all the way to the other side of the school. We thought we were safe to hide somewhere there until we heard the sound his car again. We started running again until we were far from the roads and watched from afar. This car was slowly driving around literally looking for us and even drove as far as the other side of the school. It gives me the chills thinking of what he would have done if he had caught us. To people that think it was probably one of our teachers. His body shape and head shape, he was also bald didn't look anything like our teachers. He clearly saw our faces when he turned the headlights and shone it on our faces and would have said something on Monday. But no teacher said anything and we weren't called up. Why would he say nothing? Surely they would say, hey kids what are you doing? Why would they be at school at 1am? Creepy stuff. During high school, Aged 14 or so me and my mates used to go camping about a mile from the closest road. One night me and two friends, Simon and Stuart, were waiting for our friend, Nick, to join us after his date with a girl. 
It was getting dark and we were sat in the tent with the door open as it was raining. I was getting paranoid and kept thinking I could see a white figure behind a tree closest to the tent. My friends could see it too but they just blamed it on the pot and the darkness playing with our eyes. I zipped up the tent after a while as it was freaking me out. The area was heavily wooded and every now and then I would hear footsteps crunching on the leaves all around the tent. I kept telling them to shut up and listen, but it would always go quiet just after. After about an hour or so forgetting all about it, we all heard the most terrifying sound, a shing. Like something sharp or blunt being scraped against something nearby. We all looked at each other and held breath, shitting ourselves. When sound happened a second time we all started putting on our shoes in a panic and ran out of the tent in the direction of my friend's house about a mile away. We ran in the dark and rained through a field and then the woods until we met the road and walked to my friend's house all scared and shaking. Shortly after we got in Nick rings us asking where the hell we are, saying he's at the campsite. We shouted down the phone to get the hell out of there and described what we heard. He told us to stop joking around asking where we are. When he got back he said he walked all around the campsite and the fields to try and find us as he still thinks we're joking. Walking through the woods he heard the footsteps of a person. He called out, thinking it was us. When he was met with no reply, he quickly ran back. We all went back in the morning and nothing was taken or moved. 14 years later I still have no idea what that was. Went walking with a female friend really late at night and turned down a closed dirt road that I knew had washed out a few miles down. I didn't think we would see anyone and after a couple of miles down the road we heard a motor start and come roaring up the road. I reacted and got my friend and I off the road just as the lights came over a hill and hit us. This pickup full of guys stops about 100 feet away from where we were hiding in the woods. Guys starts yelling for us to come out and after a minute or two they start getting angry and start hoping out the truck with flashlights and start looking around. Luckily I knew the woods and area really well and have a pretty good sense of direction so I take my friend and creep further down the road until we are well out of earshot and cross the road and after we hear the truck start up and roar off we start heading back up staying well into the woods and before long we see this truck slowly creeping along with its lights off. They kept doing this and every time they pass we got low and behind something so it takes us almost 2 hours to get back out to the main road. I kept us off the sidewalk just in case until we got back to the house because I did not want to find out what those guys might do. I was walking down a quiet country lane late night, it was January and it was snowing. It would have been quite scenic but there was something wrong about the atmosphere. The road was uncannily quiet, and I felt a bit edgy because I was far out from anywhere. There was a bus stop, the twice a week kind of bus you get in places like this, with a wooden bench. There was somebody sitting there, seemingly wrapped up in a big jacket with the hood up. I didn't have any option, I had to walk past. You have to understand, this is like 2 and there was no bus coming. They didn't move as I came past and I hurried off. I was just really freaked out. When I reflect on it I think I probably did the wrong thing, they might have needed help, but that's how the goddamn aliens get you. While scanning the valley floor, for sheep, a mile from my house, I noticed two loping figures. Initially, I thought the figures were coyotes or stray dogs. But as the two figures neared an old sunken vehicle, I realized that the things were about the size of the vehicle. Nearly 8 feet long. No animal could be that big on the res. I watched the two figures until they disappeared into the woods, across the valley. It was starting to get dark, but the moon was bright enough, so I walked without a light. As I walked down the mountain, I heard something yelling. It was like a howl or a yell. I started to hurry. Then, when I got to my house, I locked the door and spent the night listening to the strangest sounds. I'm sure it was a skinwalker, but I found this sight and was surprised. 
I was gaming at my friend's place at night and afterwards I decided to walk through a park that cut my walk time back to my place in half. The park was quite large but it had street lamps on the main path. Once I started down the path I saw a woman crying. I thought that it was sad, she was probably having a bad night. But when I passed her on the path I saw it wasn't a lady at all. It was a guy in drag who looked at me and gave me the creepiest predatory smile I've ever seen. I thought well that's disturbing I kept walking and got to a bridge on a little hill. I looked back and the dude was following me. He was still below the hill and after I walked onto the bridge and couldn't see him I booked it to the other end. At that point I dived into the bushes and looked out at the path. Sure enough there came the creep, running. He stopped at the end of the bridge and looked around probably wondering where I'd gone, and then he walked off. I waited a while until I was sure the coast was clear and went home. That guy was definitely messed up and definitely following me in a park at night. Hate to think what his intentions were. Eight years ago, my brother John was heading home from his girlfriend's house off a county road outside of Boulder, 11 miles south of Pinedale, Wyoming. It was around 1 or 2 a.m. when he saw what he described as a huge dog traversing down the slope on the south side of the road, commencing to run alongside his pickup. He was driving a 1969-1974 F-150 high boy, which came from the factory lifted. The dogman was running with him at 35 to 40 miles per hour. There's a 2 to 3 feet barrow ditch running along the road, and the dogman's head was level with his as he was driving, so John estimated its height at 7 to 8 feet. It was dark in color with gray or white on its muzzle running from its nose to under its eyes, which were amber in color. He sped up to 45 miles per hour, and the dogman kept up with him, often looking inside the pickup. He set at around 50 miles per hour, he lost it, and that's all he would tell me. Not necessarily a hiking story but as few years ago before I moved away to university I used to enjoy going for long walks down to my local beach late at night. This one time it was about 11.30pm and next to the beach there is an outcrop of land with an old communications tower on it from World War II. This outcrop is usually where teenagers go to drink during the summer and where I go to be alone during the quieter months, but as this was a very cold in November I wasn't expecting to see anyone there at all. I got to the top of the hill before the outcrop and in the moonlight I saw what looked like three people sat by the communications tower. I paused my music to try and hear them to confirm it was actually a group of people. Since it's really really dark out there sometimes it's hard to distinguish shadows and shapes from actual people. I couldn't hear anything so I kept walking in their direction for a bit longer until I could see more clearly. It was actually three people, but it appeared to be two older men and a young child. I was very confused so I called out to them and then that's when they noticed me. Without saying anything they all got up walked towards me and then turned off to the forest path that went back into town before they got to where I was standing. I'm still very confused what two grown men and a small boy were doing out in such a remote place so late at night but there has never been any news to indicate it was something suspicious, just a standard creepy occurrence in a small coastal town. This isn't really my story but I happen to know it. This happened in my town. So there was this guy who was walking his dogs during New Year's night. He got shot in the back of his head. My dad was one of the people who worked on the case. Turns out he was shot by a cartel. Or at least by somebody that got instructions from a cartel. Though we're looking for someone in the description they used to find him was that their target walked his dogs at night on the same spot as this guy but they'd shot the wrong guy. The actual target was later arrested by what would be a SWAT team in America. My dad said the actual guy had turned his home into a bunker because after the accident he knew it was for him. In the spring of 1979, I, went hunting on Rice Road, south of Cochrane Road, 
west of Timber, Oregon, T3NR5W. I stumbled upon a soft spot near the creek where I discovered a massive track, measuring 18 to 20 inches in length and sunk 4 inches into the sediment. Interestingly, there were no other tracks around. Excitedly, I shared my discovery with a friend, mentioning that he, too, had seen a track nearby, situated between Highway 26 and Timber. As we moved further towards the coast, another friend named Larry S. had a remarkable encounter. At Elderberry, he witnessed a Bigfoot right in the middle of the road. In the mid-1980s I would spend a lot of time with my grandparents who had a cabin overlooking Lake James in the mountains of North Carolina. I would help out around the cabin, mowing grass, chopping wood, and helping in the garden. It's about a 300-yard walk through the woods to the lake. Grandma liked catfish so I'd spend evenings and sometimes all night catching catfish. There were no houses within a couple miles of my grandparents' cabin. Several times I had the feeling I was not alone, like I was being watched. The first odd thing was I had walked up the bank, maybe 30 yards, to throw a bass plug across a point where I'd heard a fish chasing bait. When I came back my stringer with three nice catfish was gone. At first, I thought maybe I didn't get it firmly in the ground. But while shining my flashlight around I found footprints. I was a good size 16 year old and wore a size 13 shoes. Those barefoot tracks were just a little bit bigger. On my way back up the trail to the cabin I found my stringer hanging in a tree over the trail. I didn't say anything to my grandparents, I just said that the fish weren't biting. Two nights later I was back in my spot. I had a couple nice ones on the stringer when the feeling of not being alone hit me like a ton of bricks. For some reason, I wasn't scared. I shined my flashlight around. I didn't see anything but I heard something walking in the woods. I had a small fire going and it was lighting up the clearing. As I was getting back to fishing a small rock hit the water right where the stringer was. In my head, it seemed like I heard the words, food. Hungry. I shook it off a couple minutes later and another pebble hit the water. I heard the same words repeated again. So. Being a teenager, I got a bit of a crazy idea. I took the fish out of the water and walked about 10 feet up into the woods and laid it down. I went back to my chair and sat down. I heard something moving in the woods. Sure enough, the next morning, my stringer was hanging in the tree again. I fished several more times, but nothing odd occurred. But two weeks later my fishing buddy was back after a couple. Pebbles hit the water at the stringer. I hung it, with fish, on a limb at the edge of the woods. About 10 minutes later I heard a big limb break. The one with the fish was gone. I started taking two stringers just in case I finally got to see him. The week before school started back only, for maybe 5 seconds, I caught a glimpse of a 7 foot tall, massive shaggy reddish brown hair. This continued on for a couple summers. I finally broke down and told my grandpa. He just smiled and said he figured that's what I was doing with the fish. I was stunned. The next time I went fishing my grandpa gave me a bag of vegetables out of his garden. He told me to leave them with the fish. Grandpa said he saw him a couple times over the years. When my grandparents passed away my aunt sold the land to a logging company. I'm 56 now and never got to go back. The year was 1978, late October. I was 12 years old. Three kids and I, two of them younger than me, one was a year older, were walking down a trail, alongside a bean field, near our neighborhood near Oklahoma City. We were looking for used shotgun shells, as we would collect them as kids, so we were looking at the ground most of the time as we were walking along. We were getting close to the line of woods that surrounded the bean field. I heard one of the other kids let out a scream and take off running right past me as fast as he could. I had my back turned to whatever he was running from. As I turned around to see what he was so scared of, the other two kids raced by me yelling for me to run. 
They were crying and had a look of fear on their faces. Standing about 25 to 30 feet away from me, was a headless man, or person. This person or figure was about 6 foot 3 inches or so and was wearing a belt of bullets, bandolier. The type of bullet belt that crosses over your shoulder, like the ones from the old movie The Good, The Bad and The Ugly. The figure had some type of uniform on, it looked like an old Civil War uniform, a blue jacket and a white collar around his neck, and again, he had no head. The figure wore black boots up to his knees. I didn't see a gun or a weapon of any kind. I froze for about 5 seconds as I was looking at this figure, right before I turned to run from this thing. The figure raised its hand and pointed a finger at me. As I looked very closely at this figure's hand, I noticed it was snow white in color. The color was so white, like he dipped his hand in a bucket of flour. I took off running into the woods and met another one of the kids, who was hiding from this figure. We sat there and watched as this figure walked down along the trail next to the bean field. It walked into the woods, across from where we were hiding, never to be seen again. I ran home and told my dad what I had seen. We went back and found footprints in the dirt where we had seen the figure walk. This area was the woods where I grew up and loved being out there, I still go back to this day to walk around. We would ride dirt bikes and play games in these woods and older kids would have parties, campfires, and other stuff. I never saw anything like that again, but I didn't go back again that fall. This is a true story and I don't know what we saw. Maybe someone was playing a trick on us, but if so, they went into a great amount of detail to do it. I have a girlfriend who, basically, careened off the road. She was driving along in a van. She had a couple of her kids with her and she just lost control on one of these roads up in central interior Ecuador. She was going over a large embankment. It was a cliff, you know, a really serious situation. From out of nowhere, this is the story she told me, it was her own personal experience and she's a real straight shooter too. These giant wings appeared from out of nowhere just as she was going over this steep embankment or cliff with her kids and these giant wings just covered the van from the front and stopped her just as she was heading off to face her doom. Things would not have worked out too well for her and her family. Have you ever heard of a thunderbird or angel being? God only knows what, arriving out of nowhere and saving people. A sort of benevolent entity or force, but something helpful? She is totally confused by what occurred. She is grateful but fears that it may be an entity that she will encounter again. Her kids don't recall what happened, which may be a blessing. It was the summer of 2000 in Knox County, Missouri near a small village called Colony and just north of there, the North Fabius River where there is a concrete bridge. I would fish on this small river, a lot of times underneath the bridge where there was usually a pretty good deep hole to fish. One night, I was fishing just on the east side of the bridge on the south bank and as I was watching my poles, I heard a loud crashing sound straight across the river from me, something crashing through the trees. I looked directly in that direction and see this large object flying through the air and down to the river. Mostly what I'm observing when I first catch sight of this thing are enormous wings and this thing lands right in the middle of the river where there is a sandbar that divides basically two small channels in the river. It lands just to the left of where my line is cast out, maybe 20 feet or so. It was most definitely dark but there was enough light from a burning citronella candle bucket I had burning to where I could see most of the outline of whatever it was I was seeing. I will never forget the size of the wings and how it landed just like a bird. The wings were most likely white or at least light enough I could make them out pretty easy but it stood just as a man and had the body of a man. The wings were enormous and were possibly as tall if not taller than the body by a foot or two. It looked mostly naked from what I could tell but I saw some kind of chest straps that went across its chest. I could not see a face but it looked like it was wearing some kind of helmet and face shield and I say this because it looked exactly like the face shield of the DC comic superhero Hawkman. 
It had a pointed face shield that looked like a bird's face and just like the Hawkman character, it had wing-like pieces on its helmet. It looked like a helmet because it appeared to be a different color or shade than its body. After it had landed, it stood straight up and had its wings tucked in and it didn't move for a very long time but I could see water stirring up. I just kept staring at it, afraid to move. I can't say how much time passed but it seemed like a long time that I watched it. All of a sudden I saw it moving even more and it looked like it had a large vase in its hand and was dipping it into the water and started pouring water on itself on its right wing. To me, it seemed like it must have been injured because of the way it crashed through the trees. That's what it appeared like anyway. After it did that, it stood straight and didn't move at all. It stood there for the longest time and looked more like a post because it was so still. I watched it for at least another 20 to 30 minutes and it did not move. I was scared and I just kept thinking in my mind that it had to be. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Be able to see me or at least see the citronella bucket burning. I started to tell myself that what I was seeing wasn't real. I had two poles with me at the time but only one was cast out and the one that was cast out. I just started reeling it in nice and slow while keeping my eye on this thing. At this time, the wind is blowing the candle directly into my face and it's all I can breathe in once I finally get my pole reeled in. I grab the candle bucket and move it from the right of me to the left. All of a sudden I see this thing leap and jump into the water like a dive and water splashes up and there's wake hitting the bank. I immediately grab my poles and take off running up the bank. I kept falling down, scared out of my mind in a total panic thinking this thing was behind me. I finally got past the rocks and up above the bank and onto the road and went straight for the truck. I got out of there, still thinking this thing might be following me. I was scared. I was actually scared for a very long time. Looking back now, maybe the creature was just as scared as I was. Several days after witnessing two low-flying objects over his suburban Vancouver, British Columbia home, on two separate nights, one of the objects was described as huge, making a rumbling-like noise. It had a V-shaped tail with two rows of round and oblong windows and was black, gray, and silver in color, and after receiving a suspicious phone call from someone claiming to be a general from the Canadian Armed Forces, Two strange men appeared at the door of the witness residence. They produced wallets, one black, and one brown, containing photo IDs that stated they were from the Canadian Air Defense. They asked to come inside. The witness extended his hand but was ignored. Moving into the house took them through the kitchen area, but they stopped upon seeing the microwave. After some questioning, the witness lowered a portion of a counter and they carefully slid through the extra space. Sitting down they produced a small silver-colored tape recorder and inserted a small disc, between a nickel and a quarter in size. On entering the house one of the men had noticed an unusual walking stick in the hallway, to which he remarked that the head of the stick's carving, painted red, reminded him of primates back home. The two men were olive-skinned and appeared to have slanted eyes. Each wore glasses with thick rims. They wore gray suits with black shirts, one had a white tie, and the other was buttoned up to the neck. The one with the tie had a clip that contained a red stone that flickered. The other had a ruby ring surrounded with diamonds. His watch was square but without apparent hands, instead being encircled with buttons that periodically illuminated from white to green to mauve. The strap appeared to be molded into the skin and was a solid steel band. The belt on his pants was of metallic strips with a square buckle. Both had very large feet, estimated to be 14 inches. Each carried a briefcase that was heavy and cold. 
When sitting down they never relaxed into their chairs but retained a stiff back the whole time. Not once during their stay in the house did they speak to each other. The witness two cats were extremely agitated the whole time during the visitor's stay. Also, the owner's dog that lived upstairs barked during the whole episode. The men noticed that the witness was wearing a very unusual watch and one of them touched his arm. The touch felt very cold and clammy. They questioned the witness about his sightings, and one of them appeared to be taking shorthand notes. When they questioned him they looked into his eyes and seemed to pierce his brain. As they were leaving they again carefully avoided the microwave. Outside in the yard they spent about 30 minutes scouring the ground with a Geiger counter. As they rounded the corner of the house the witness went from the kitchen to the bedroom, which gave him a clearer view of the driveway and the road. Despite the very short period it took him to achieve this, the two men were not in sight, nor was a car leaving, or no car door could be heard slamming, they had vanished. Later they discovered that on the windowsill, only six inches behind where one of the men had been sitting, was a Windex bottle and was partially melted as if heat had been applied to it. Alongside was a cassette warp similarly. The witness suffered from a severe migraine-type headache after the two men left, his eyes also felt gritty and teary, and his face now appeared sunburned. He also suffered from strange dreams, one that was of lying prone on a table in a round room with a bright light above him and then sensing being touched. Two days later, while going outside his house the witness saw the same two men he had seen before in the driveway. Both were dressed in white coveralls. One was carrying a Geiger counter, the other a 12 to 16 inch parabolic dish in his hand, pointing to the sky, plus earphones and a microphone that was attached. He appeared to be searching the sky. The wires all led into a black box at his waist. At one point he had what looked like a camera, although not video, aimed at a tree over which the UFO had been originally seen. During the time they were together neither was seen speaking to each other nor was any car seen which they might have arrived in. In December, a few days after Christmas, a man appeared at the door of the witness. He stated that he had come to see his unusual watch. He stated that his name was Mr. Smith and showed some ID. He wore a dark charcoal suit, a white shirt, and a black tie. He also wore a black fedora. His feet were very large, size 13, or 14, like the witness's previous visitors. His shoes were black and shiny, with no signs of dirt on them at all. He was about 4 feet 8 inches to 5 feet tall, very thin, and very pale skin with very long fingers. He also wore black wraparound glasses with silver frames. The witness extended his hand but was ignored, again. Upon entering the house the visitor commented upon the carved walking stick in the hallway. He also asked the witness to turn the microwave off before he walked in front of it. Sitting down at the kitchen table he produced a small silver tape recorder, claiming it could record up to 80 hours or more. Using a pick-like tool from his breast pocket he examined the witness watch. He opened a black briefcase, removed some paper, a silver pencil with a red top, and a pen-like flashlight that emitted a mauve, pencil-thin beam which scanned the interior of the watch. He took a small digital type camera and with it he took several pictures of the watch. During the whole of his visit, he spoke very little, and his speech seemed slurred. Again the cats were agitated during the stranger's visit. He again expressed interest in the watch and the witness asked $500 for it, but he replied that he had to check with his colleagues. The stranger also expressed interest in a computer saying that it had very minimal power. The stranger departed without saying goodbye. The witness went immediately to the window but could not see any sign of the visitor or any car in the vicinity, he had simply vanished. A plastic hair blower nozzle was found melted and a ruler in a drawer close to where the visitor had been sitting was bent into a slight curve. Again the witness suffered from a severe headache and an eruptive nosebleed. In early January 2001, Two peculiar strangers again visited the witness to a previous UFO encounter. These two were different from the others. They were at least six feet tall, and very bony, with heads, hands, 
and feet out of proportion to the rest of the body. They wore gray suits that seemed to be oily, and had black ties and hats plus wraparound sunglasses that they never took off. When questioned about the glasses they remarked that they could see perfectly well. Their ears stood out from their heads and their skin was pale white, whereas their fingernails were gray in color. They never removed the hats during their visit. And throughout the whole time, only one of them spoke. When asked for IDs they displayed silver cases that contained a photo of an unusual symbol, plus their names in small print. Upon entering the kitchen they asked the witness to please unplug the microwave, they also told him to turn the computer off. The two Persian cats were going crazy dashing around the room and trying to get out of the window, which was closed. Each man carried a briefcase with an inverted L-shaped handle. The man who did all the talking asked to see the witness's unusual watch, he then removed from his briefcase four small containers, each had a different colored top. Opening two he proceeded to pour the contents over the watch. He told the concerned witness that no harm would come to the watch. He was given $250 for the watch and told that they would give him the rest later. He told them that he was moving soon, to this they replied, we know, don't worry, we can find you if we want to. They soon departed without the common courtesies, staring blankly at the witness as he extended his hand. Once again the witness hurried to the bedroom window only to find, as before, no sign of either man departing, nor could any vehicle be heard leaving. After the visit, the witness felt drained, had a severe headache that lasted for two days, and a rash on his arms, face, and chest. I along with my cousin C.W., were on our way home by the lake road when we decided to pause and enjoy the sight of shooting stars. To our surprise, when we reached home, we discovered that approximately three hours were unaccounted for. The next morning, I experienced a sore stomach and a highly inflamed navel, while C.W. had a small puncture mark on her spine surrounded by four little marks. During regressive hypnosis, I recollected encountering four short individuals dressed in black snowmobile suits with helmets covering their heads. Simultaneously, there was a helmet-shaped object hovering over a field, measuring 30 to 40 feet in diameter, featuring a prominent white light in the middle and smaller lights recessed around it. Somehow, I found myself outside the car, and these beings approached, pulling at my arm. The next memory was being inside a room with a rounded door, accompanied by a chrome cylinder. A nurse with a face mask and big black eyes, alongside a doctor, presented a needle. Despite my attempt to escape, I was caught, fastened to a cot, and the needle was inserted into my stomach. In the same room, several individuals with grayish-white, cat-like faces, adorned in cream-colored robes, appeared. They had scaly skin, long fingernails, small noses, and no visible mouths. The room was filled with various controls and gauges, reaching up to the ceiling, as the craft was in flight. I observed a man of normal appearance bending over CW and noted a pedestal chair and a box with lines across it, akin to a TV. For about 10 minutes, I witnessed scenes on the box, including a crying baby, a war, people in the jungle with knives, and other scenarios. The memories continued with leaving the craft and returning, along with CW, to the car. In September 1978, I lived with my father on a farm in the vicinity of Shawano, Wisconsin which is very near the Menominee Indian Reservation. There had been some buzz within the community of an unknown large hairy creature spotted by two deer hunters not far from our farm. I had heard stories of the Manabai Walk or the giants from stories told by the Menominee, but I just considered these tales to be legends. Then one evening, my father and I were coming home from the store and noticed what appeared to be two hairy creatures collecting squash from the garden. Each creature was at least six feet tall. It was dusk but there was enough light to clearly see what they were doing. My father immediately cut the headlights and stopped the car as we just sat there and watched them pick and eat the squash. They didn't seem to even notice us, 
even though we were about 100 feet from them. After about 5 minutes, one of the creatures looked in our direction and you could see its eyes glow red from the moonlight. We started to get scared and decided to dash for the house and call the police. Then suddenly, huge disc-shaped objects appeared above us and slowly moved towards the east field which was about 200-100 yards from us, and landed. I estimate the craft was about 40 feet in diameter. A large sliding door opened immediately and a foggy green light glowed from within the craft. After a few seconds, the door closed and the craft slowly rose and shot off toward the north. Then we noticed that the creatures were gone. A few days later, our neighbors from down the road came over for dinner. After we finished eating, my father and Mr. C walked outside. After an hour or so, the neighbors left and I started to clean up the kitchen. Later that evening, I was watching TV in the living room. My father walked in, turned off the TV, and sat down beside me. He told me that Mr. C and his sister witnessed one of the craft on the same night that we had our encounter. As well, they witnessed several of the large hairy creatures meandering in the nearby woods. Mr. C said that he knew something had been in the woods for several weeks but never got a good look until the craft arrived. After that night, we never had another encounter nor did we hear of more sightings by any people in the area. Do you think that these creatures were Bigfoot, aliens, or one and the same? It has always seemed strange to me that a Bigfoot body has never been found. Is it a possibility that Bigfoot is an extraterrestrial being? I'd like to tell you a bit about two things that recently happened to me, regarding music in a forest close to my house. I'll set the scene first. There's this forest close to my house that I often walk in, alone or with my family. It was being used in World War II, so there are a few military bunkers around. The forest is quite long and there are not many houses around, in some areas, there are none. Now, this first encounter with the strange forest was about a year ago. I was walking, going a bit further than I usually would alone. I explored a bit, then walk and back. There was this large field I passed. It had a bunker in it, I took a look. In it were a couple of roe deer bones and some half-smoked cigarettes. Nothing out of the ordinary. This was one they'd forgotten to close up, so you could go inside. There was nothing strange or out of the ordinary in the bunker either. I left it and continued walking. Keep in mind that this was one of those areas where there were no houses nearby. I walked, and suddenly my heart dropped. I heard music. Very clear, vintage sounding music, like from the 20s or 30s. I was terrified. I walked further, thinking it was my imagination, but it wasn't. To continue on to the regular path I had to climb a little hill that was quite muddy, but I couldn't get on it. I had to keep walking trough the field, without the path. I was so scared, I thought there was someone hiding in the trees, waiting for me. But, there wasn't. I took out my phone, took some videos and sent them to my friend. She could hear it too. I walked home. But, I thought it was just a weird coincidence. But last week, it happened again. A twig snapped, and the music started playing when I was walking back home, at the same exact place. I ran back home, which took about 20 minutes. It was the same music. I am still scared. Can anyone please debunk this? I'm not a big paranormal person, but I remain open-minded. I was dog-sitting for my upstairs neighbor over Christmas. Some background, her father was up there in hospice care and passed away about a year ago. Anyway, I go upstairs to walk the dogs a few times a day over the long Christmas weekend. One time after a walk I go into my bathroom and I'm taking a piss when I feel a hand on my right shoulder. It really felt like a hand, sure maybe a muscle spasm, with some gentle pressure. Then my body went ice cold. I wasn't scared at all. It was a friendly touch, almost as if to say, good job son. I don't know, just felt like sharing.
Let me tell you what happened. I was at my parents' home for a few days while they were away on a trip. I was watching their dog. On the day they were returning from their trip, I was in the living room watching TV. It was morning. Very bright outside. I was with the dog. I was watching a YouTube video of someone playing a game. I have previously watched this person before. While I was watching the person on YouTube, the living room door was open. After watching the video for many minutes, I stood up off the sofa and was in a position where I could see out the living room door and into the hallway. In the hallway, I could see a bedroom door on the left and a bedroom straight ahead. The entrance to the apartment is just right of the bedroom straight ahead. When I looked at the bedroom at the end of the hallway, which is my parents' bedroom, their bedroom door was halfway open. I looked at that door for about one second and I saw something. It was small. Dark colored. It was as if there might be more of it behind the door. When I realized I had saw something, it was only for a second before it moved behind the door. The time it took and the way this thing moved out of my view felt similar to how you might feel if you were watching someone and they caught you doing it. Although it was small, I thought I was looking at the head of something. I was very unsettled by whatever it was. I have never experienced something like that. The next thing I did was go into the kitchen, grabbed a knife and went into my parents' bedroom. I never found anyone or anything in there. I was 18, my friend 16. I had just graduated high school and we decided to go camping overnight. Both of us are female, but it was a safe area close to home, so we weren't worried. We were making dinner when a man with fishing gear walks into view of our campsite from up the canyon in the river. He asked if he could cut through our site to the road. Nothing seemed unusual, so we said sure. He stopped in the middle of our site and asked us what we were making. Really just made polite small talk. But then his questions started getting uncomfortable. How old are you guys? Where are you from? How long are you planning to be up here? Is it just you two up here? I'll admit, some little part of me felt uneasy, but my friend and I were naive. We answered every single question and even offered the guy some food. He declined the food and headed out of our campsite and down the canyon. A couple hours later, he and another middle-aged man walk up the canyon, from the direction the first man left in, and strolled right into our campsite. The first one took us up on our earlier offer for some dinner and really just sat there. The new guy asked us a lot of questions, most along the same vein as the first guy. This felt uncomfortable. I was uneasy, but I didn't want to be rude. After a while, they thanked us for the chat and left our campsite heading up the canyon, away from where we assumed they were camped. This is when subtle alarm bells became a little less subtle. My friend and I ate and sat by the fire well into the evening past dark, laughing and having fun. However, B both watched the road the whole time, and those men never went back down the canyon. Now I can see that they may have simply had a fishing base lower in the canyon and their campsite higher but every ounce of self-preservation was on edge at this point. My intuition screamed for me to reconsider. I was desperate to enjoy this camping trip though, and I didn't set anything. But God, the tension was thick in the air between my friend and I. We were both uneasy and did what we could to fill the silence between us. Eventually she said you know the worst part about camping by a river? My stomach sank. Of course I knew. Here in northern Utah where the rivers are fed largely by runoff and they traipse down steep mountains, they are loud. You can't hear anything over them. I responded. She nodded. You think we should leave, don't you? She said she didn't feel good about the situation. At this point in our lives, we were both staunch Mormons, I am no longer, so we said a prayer. I now see this as me consciously and fully welcoming the voice of my intuition into my decision-making process. Clear as day, we both knew we had to get out. As soon as we really stopped pushing down that intuition in favor of having a fun night, all bets were off. Terror filled us and we threw everything haphazardously into my car before booking it down the canyon. 
The terror wouldn't leave us until we got off the dirt road of the canyon fork onto the main paved road out of the mountains into town. We both watched the rear view the whole time, praying we never saw headlights behind us. As soon as we had a signal, we called my dad and told him what had happened. He told us to get the hell out of there and make sure we weren't being followed. We ended up sleeping, safe and sound, in my friend's backyard that night. Knowing what I do now as a sequel assault therapist, I am almost certain those men had ill intentions for us that night. So I've been a huge fan of this and other similar Reddit pages for years now and finally have a fitting story of my own. Quick bit of backstory me 32 male, my brother, 28 male, and disabled mom all lived together in a trailer about 30 minutes from Nashville, Tennessee. I was wary of moving there at first for the stereotypes you may hear about trailer parks but luckily we've had zero issues in the 10 years we've been here very nice neighbors, well kept yards, act act. Okay story time so about a week ago we were finally putting up our Christmas tree drinking probably too much beer, listening to Christmas music, Christmas spirit in full swing. During our random banner my brother says oh yeah I can't believe I forgot to tell you earlier today at work the owner had to kick out some guy who was acting super creepy. My brother works as the stalker at a family owned little market about a mile from our home. He went on to tell me this younger looking guy was pacing the aisles, sometimes standing still for minutes at a time and not responding when the owner would ask if he needed help finding something. After about 20 minutes of this the owner asked him to please leave because he was scaring the customers and without a word he left. We continue with our good time hanging ornaments, drinking, getting our mom involved, with the ornaments not the drinking of course lol, and all is good. We wrap up around 10.30pm help our mom to bed, she's in a wheelchair, and decide we might as well finish off the ton of beer we have left and admire our decked out tree. Around 11.30 we decide to go out on the front porch to share a cigarette as we usually do when we've tied on a good buzz. My brother opens the door and almost immediately closes it. I ask what's up and he says holy shit the guy I was telling you about just like Michael Myers walked down the street past our house. I thought that was pretty strange but wasn't super concerned. We waited for a few minutes then went and smoked as usual and went back inside. My brother and I aren't troublemakers at all but I'm pretty confident in our ability to defend ourselves if we had to. At this point these are just thoughts in the back of my mind though after all I hadn't even seen this guy, yet. Fast forward to about 2am. We're more than drunk enough to go ahead and call it a night after one more ciggy. My brother opens the door and within seconds I hear him say whoa whoa hey man you good? Hey buddy what's up? You good? I'm in the kitchen at the time but quickly decided this doesn't sound right and rush over to the door. What I see when I get to the open door is a younger man standing on our deck about 3 feet from our front door. He's pretty tall about 6 foot 4 and another thing I noticed is he looks a lot like Adam Driver which was a detail my brother jokingly mentioned earlier during tree time so I'm realizing for the first time this must be the guy he's been talking about. One thing my brother must have not got close enough to notice at work though was this guy's eyes. I'm not exaggerating when I say I've never seen anything like it. His body language wasn't super menacing but his eyes were the strangest combination of wide-eyed bewilderment and fury, like us opening our front door confused him and also made him very very angry. I joined my brother in explaining to him that it's late and he should head home. After what I'd say was about 30 seconds of staring he just walked off without a word. I peeked out of our blinds to make sure he really left and saw nothing. We both tried to laugh it off and were saying things like well that was pretty weird huh? But it took a while for my adrenaline to taper off. The thing I kept thinking to myself that bothered me was those 30 seconds to me felt like he was the one deciding what the next move would be, but what that could have been I have no idea. I also didn't love that my brother said when he opened the door he was already standing there, so for how long? We calmed down watching YouTube videos and after another 30 minutes or so I say to my brother okay man let's just go to bed I'll take one more look outside to be safe but felt like it wasn't really necessary.
I open the door and he's back again. The street lights are spaced very far apart in our trailer park but at the edge of our driveway there I see a silhouette probably 50 feet away again just staring at our front door. I feel I should mention he's not there texting or on the phone with someone, he's just there. I feel bad in hindsight because I'm sure this poor guy definitely has mental health issues but between being drunk and exhausted and the look he gave us earlier I was over it. I finally put some bass in my voice and said hey man you can't just stand in our driveway, you're being creepy dude just please leave I really don't want to call the cops on you so don't make me. This seemed to work his demeanor didn't change at all but the word cops seemed to do the trick, he turned around and walked away. I hope we handled it well. I understand and empathize with people with mental health problems and have friends and family who unfortunately suffer from those things. However, I still can't shake the feeling that something bad could have happened that night. He didn't finally leave our porch earlier that night until I showed up to the door essentially making him outnumbered, and even then still he came back after. I hope he's okay out there we haven't seen him since. I also hope not calling the police wasn't a bad choice and that he isn't out there with bad intentions on somebody else's front deck at 2am who lives alone or is elderly act. I wish I could have figured out what that was all about but during every interaction me or my brother had with him that day and night he never spoke a word. Pretty creepy. Thanks for reading. Hope I did a decent job conveying my story this is my first reddit post ever so I don't know I hope it's an easy read happy holidays everybody. When I was around 12, I lived with my mother in a granny flat connected to the old person's house, built by his son. Let's call the neighbor Harry. There were three ways to enter the yard, one from Harry's backyard, one by the driveway, and the other through one of the walls, aka the main entrance. The gate at the driveway was broken, and we kept Harry's gate blocked. Harry was an odd guy, around 70, and always gave me and my mom the creeps. I remember one day when my mom and I were outside, he started talking to us over the gate and got on what we later learned was a step stool. My mom told me to go inside. Another time, when I was taking the rubbish out, I turned around, and he was behind me, just staring. I tried to leave, but he dragged me into a conversation. After a while, my mom showed up and asked what was taking so long. When she saw Harry, she told me to go into the house, and when she came back, she instructed me to run away if he ever did that again. The third thing I remember is when I was at home alone, and I heard the gate open. I took a look outside and saw Harry walking around the yard. I ran to my mom's room and stayed quiet. After a while, I heard knocking, then the gate opened and shut, indicating he left. The final issue was when my mom and I were mowing the lawn, and I felt like I was being watched. I looked up, and there was Harry standing near his back door, our flat was visible from the door, just staring. After a minute, my mom realized I was staring at something and looked up. She immediately got mad telling me to get inside and lock the door. My mom started yelling at him, saying, what are you doing? Go away. Leave us alone. If you keep this up, I'm calling the cops. I don't really remember what happened next, but after a few months, we moved, and it was the biggest relief ever. My mom told the son what had happened after she yelled at him, and I'm guessing the son told his dad to leave us alone, but it was definitely creepy.